Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the chance to be in your house this evening. And God, we pray that as we, uh, as we look into your word, that you'll speak to our hearts. God, that we'll be open for these few brief minutes that we're here. And, and Lord, I pray that you'll change some lives tonight. I pray that we'll, we'll look deep and look within and, God, do whatever it is we need to do to leave here in a right relationship with you. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's give Justin and the band a hand for a great job. Wayne is on the beach partying somewhere on vacation, and we appreciate, uh, I think he's partying in Shudrant on the beach. Uh, You know there was a beach there, did you? Right behind Josh's house, there is a beach. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, what goes around comes around? And you do not have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what that's trying to say, correct? That what you give out, what you do, uh, comes back to you eventually. It, it, you, you experience it. Uh, in Buddhism and Hinduism, they use the word karma. It's the same concept of, of, of what you give out is what you get back. Of course, they talk about vibes and all these kind of strange things. God just basically says that, that life, that what we plant uh, comes back on us. We're going to look tonight in Judges chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. It's the longest chapter in this book. And don't panic, we're not going to break down every verse and go uh, through all 57 verses tonight. But uh, it is a, man, it is a bizarre chapter. And, and I think one Old Testament commentator may have summed up Abimelech, the, uh, the villain and the primary character in this story tonight, as the Hitler of the Old Testament. So that ought to uh, perk your interest a little bit as we begin. And let's begin with this. This is the big thought this evening. You always reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. First of all, this is a natural law. If you're an atheist... You have to uh, understand and agree, at least with this part of the sermon. If you put corn in the ground, don't be surprised when corn comes up, correct? If you plant tomato seeds, don't cry out to God for failing you when watermelons don't come up, amen? I always used to get tickled growing up when some redneck near where I live would get caught with marijuana in his field. And they'd interview him. You know, he'd be cuffed. He'd be going in. He said, I have no idea why that was growing in my field. And I'm 10 years old going, because you planted it is why it's growing there. What you, what you sow, you reap, right? That, that's a law of nature. But listen, it's also very important. It's a law of God. Galatians 6, 7 very powerful verse. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows is what a man reaps. And I think that you can, you can carry this to understand. It doesn't always play out overnight, as we'll see this evening. But in life, what you and I, how we live life, how we do life, how we treat other people, good or bad, That is how it comes back to us eventually. That is how eventually we will be repaid. It's not only something 
that is a law of nature, but is a law of God. It is how God deals with us too. So we're going to look at this story tonight in Judges chapter 9. And we're going to look at it, it, it and it's a drama kind of in three different acts. And it begins with this murder and chaos. If you remember when we started back in Judges in the year 2002, we, uh, I told you that if this book was rated, it would be rated R. Because it is just a, it's a crazy book and a, and a wild book. In verse 1 through 4, it says, Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, now that's Gideon, went to his mother's brothers, his uncles, in Shechem. And he said to them, to all his mother's clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you to have all 70 of Gideon's sons rule over you? Are just one man. Remember, I am your flesh and blood. Does this sound like kind of a self-centered little punk here? It gets worse. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Balbareth. And Abimelech used it to hire reckless adventurers who became his followers. Let me pause real quick and tell you a little bit about this. Just think about this. Uh, th- th- this was a guy whose dad Gideon had done some great things for God and the, and the people of Israel, but now they're paying him out of the, uh, the temple of Baal, out of a wickedness, out of a false god worship. And it says he hired some reckless men. These were either mercenaries or, or they were probably mercenary slash thugs that are going to participate in some really, really bad stuff in verse 5 and 6. He went to his father's home in Ophrah and they opened Christmas presents. No, that's not what it says. And on one stone he murdered his 70 brothers. Did you hear that? You're going to go home tonight and watch TV, and it's going to be hard to find something worse than what we're seeing here. He murdered 70 of his brothers on one stone. The sons of Jeroboam, again, that's Gideon. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Now, now get the picture of this. Now, we don't know if 70 was the perfect number, a rounded number, or if it meant that 69 of the boys died and one got away. These are his half-brothers. And it says on one stone, it was like they captured them, and one by one in a ritual killing, they brought them out, and they put them, this may have been some kind of sacred bell worship stone, and they slaughtered them. Can you imagine? And can you imagine if you'd have been number 68 in the line, how horrible this, this was? This was just absolutely hideously horrible. What a, what a, what a terrible, terrible thing. And, and it began, you remember when we talked about his, his heart and his selfish ambition? I want to jump to James chapter chapter 3. Uh, you can write this down. It'll be on the screen. James three fourteen through 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Verse 15. Such wisdom doesn't come from God, from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Now, verse 16 is one you need to, to memorize. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. How many of you agree when you murder 70 people who are your blood uh, in one spot that that is every evil practice birthed out of selfish ambition. The Bible is always right. But it says, then they appointed him king in verse 6. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered besides the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. Wow. I want to show you a picture of uh, modern-day Shechem. It's Tel Balata now. 
And, and what's interesting, this, this is obviously the modern city. They believe this is, uh, may have been where an ancient temple that would have been a contemporary of the time of, of Abimelech and Gideon that was a, a, a temple that was destroyed at, during this era. We'll see later. But that may have been about the place where they anointed him king. Now, man, isn't this terrible? Isn't this terrible? This is not, this is, this is not fiction, And it looks like he got away with it. He murders 70 of his half-brothers, and he gets appointed king, and they are dead. And and the people of this city either sat by idly and did nothing, or they were compliant with it. This may be a message right there to America alone. William Butler Yeats, the poet, in his poem, The Second Coming, there's one phrase It says, Oftentimes, the best, of, the, best, the best of men lack conviction, while the worst of men are full of passionate intensity. Amen. The best of men just don't care. And the worst people are the ones that have the passion intensity. And doesn't it look like right now he's just got away with it? He's the king. I want to tell you this evening... We're going to see this more as it unfolds, but the Bible's clear, thou shalt not murder. The Bible's clear that innocent blood will be reckoned by God at some point. What about you this evening? I wonder how many of us here who may be 12 or 13 or we may be 80 or 90 sometimes think that you can do as you please and get away with it. Or maybe powerful people. Boy, it does seem like that, doesn't it? Powerful people, whether it's in Louisiana or America or in our world, can they, I mean, they got the money, the power, the, they can get away with anything. They can do as they please. Think about our country. Planned Parenthood is the leading abortion provider in, uh, in America. And they've made the news lately. Has any of y'all kept up with some of the Planned Parenthood news? Planned Parenthood, again, the leading abortion provider in, the country, in America. Did you know this? That they, in 2014, they got 540 million, 540 million of your tax dollars in grants. Did you know that? Did, did you know that? That in the last two weeks, secret videos have shown people who are leaders in that organization uh, on hidden cameras talking about selling the body parts of aborted babies for money. And we wonder, will this ever get anything happen? It's almost like people don't care. And again, to make it a little more personal... What about you? What secret sin are the 10 and 11-year-olds in here hiding tonight? Or what are the secret sins that a daddy or a husband's hiding tonight? Or what are the secret sins of a young adult or a senior daughter you're hiding tonight? How long will it stay unexposed? And is anyone aware, even God? As the story goes on, I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to tell you. In verse 7 through 21, there's a prophetic word. Not pathetic, prophetic. Again, I'll just share with you. It's Jotham, the 
the half-brother that survived, basically he gets up and from a distance, boy, wouldn't you have been a distance from Abimelech and those people? He tells a fable, a prophetic fable, basically saying, and I'm summing it up, that, hey, if you people in Shechem did the right thing by killing my brothers and anointing him as king, it'll all pan out for you. But if you didn't, God's going to pour coals on your head and you're all going to be sorry. I'm not claiming it all tonight to be some kind of future predicting prophet. Brenda and I got this week uh, something in the mail that was basically telling us where we are in the tribulation right now and how things are going to happen. And I always uh, wonder if they forgot to read that verse that Jesus said nobody knows. <laughs> but this one person knew. I guess it was nice enough to send it to First Rust, and I'll share it with you maybe. But listen, I can be prophetic tonight and tell you that when you live your life a way that's contrary to God, there will be a reckoning. And in fact, our second point this evening, I've titled it The Undoing because that's what's going to begin to happen. There's going to be an undoing of Abimelech and these people. Verse 22, after Abimelech had governed Israel three years, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem who acted treacherously treacherously against him. How many of you, did you just hear what I read? Is that not a little bizarre? What what did it mean that God sent an evil spirit uh, in between these people? Well, it means one of a couple of things possibly. Scholars split on this. It may have meant literally that God who created Satan as an angel, Lucifer, and his demons who were at one time angels, they rebelled against God, were thrown out of heaven, a third of the angels with Satan. God created them. Some of the angels are apparently in hell today. The other ones and the devil are waiting for it in their future. But God has control over everything. And there may be points where God even lets a demon loose where there's bad things that are happening. That's pretty scary. Or it may have simply meant that the the things coming together, just the collision of all this sin and evil, the natural consequences of that is evilness and a spirit of evilness that came in to divide these people. But basically what happened, let's read in verse 24 and 25. God did this in order, God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam, 70 sons, the shedding of their blood might be avenged on their brother Abimelech. And on the citizens of Shechem. You see, God's paying attention, isn't he? Three years had gone by, but now God's getting involved actively. Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem who helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by. And this was reported to the sweet guy, Abimelech. See, what happened was is they, they had this evil, <laughs> this evil agreement. The people of Shechem and Abimelech, God would, I mean, they would team up against and kill these 70 boys. They would make Abimelech their king. And then they would rule and have everything they wanted. Within three years, they'd begin to, to, to fight amongst themselves. There's an old saying, there's no honor among thieves. I can remember when I was young, people saying that if you want to live a sinful, bad life, one of two things will happen. Either the good guys will capture you or the bad guys will kill you. If you were here when Michael Francis, the mafia guy, spoke to us last fall, the converted mafia guy, that's one thing he shared. 
He shared a life of crime in the mafia. Either the police got you or the bad guys killed you before all was said and done. That's what's happening here. And again, I don't want to remove it from you or from me because we need to understand that when we, when we make bad choices, sinful choices, we may coast. We may see people coast what seems for years or for decades. But you need to understand God is aware of what's going on. And this is a hard word tonight, but an important word. And, and that at some point, things will begin, begin to unravel. I'm not going to read verse 26 through 33, but I'll just tell you real quick. This is where Abimelech and his people and the people of Shechem begin to fight each other and to begin to war against each other. These people that were great buddies at one point now are killing each other. And in verse 45, look what it says. It says, All that day Abimelech pressed his attack against the city of Shechem until he captured it and he killed his people. These are these friends, remember, then he destroyed the city and scattered salt all over it. What does it mean to scatter salt? Well, it's one of two things. It was a way of trying to poison the soil, but it might have been a, a symbolic way, basically, of you've destroyed somebody, you've burned them down, and then you just spit on them. Good alliance of friends, wasn't it, here? Verse 46 through 49 this wonderful part of this story continues. On hearing this, the citizens who were still alive in the tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of El Bereth. And then we'll jump over in verse 49. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire over the people inside. So all the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women died. Is this not an incredibly brutal, wicked story? You see, you treat people bad. Why are you shocked when other people treat you poorly? See, what goes around comes around. In, in a spiritual sense, much deeper is that God's watching what's happening and that we, we always reap what we have sown. It may not happen overnight, but God punishes or God blesses based on how we do life and how we treat people. And let me give you the last part of this. This is the end of the story. Abimelech killed his brothers. Seventy of them, he becomes the king. He has the people of Shechem on his side. Then they begin to war. He fights them and he kills them and he wins. And you wonder, my goodness, doesn't a life of sin and rebellion against God pay off? That's why this story's not over. Verse 50 through 53, Abimelech went to Thebes and he besieged and he captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower. You remember the tower in the previous story? To which all the men and the women and all the people of the city fled. They locked themselves in it, climbed up on the tower. Abimelech went to the tower and stormed it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, as he had previously done, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. This millstone, this was probably the hand millstone that they would grind grain with. It was a job that women did. It may have weighed 5 to 10 pounds, may have been about 10 inches in circumference. And 
when a city would be attacked like this and they would get in the tower, the men would shoot arrows down at people and they would, uh, they would throw spears and the women would drop rocks on the soldier's head. And she took that millstone that she used in her everyday work and she dropped it on his head and she cracked his skull. Wow. Let's read verse 54 and 55. Hurriedly he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so they can't say a woman killed him. So the servant ran him through and he died. And the Israelites saw Abimelech was dead and they went home. In this day and age, for a warrior king to be killed by a woman was a great insult. And see, it doesn't matter how he ultimately lost his last breath. He was killed by a woman. This murderous king who is so prideful and egotistical, his life comes to a horrible end, but a righteous end. In verse 56 and 57, God, thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the men of Shechem, did you get that? God also made the men of Shechem pay for all their wickedness, the curse of Jotham, came true. It's interesting that Hebrew name Jotham means God is integrity or God is truthful. Amen to that. Folks, I want to say it again. What you reap, you sow. God's not missing anything. God punishes bad behavior. God blesses good behavior. Some of that won't come to fruitation totally till we get to heaven or you go to hell. But let's not forget this evening how important this is for us that God's not missing what's going on. God's not missing what's going on. In your life, my life, or in our country. You know, uh, most of you in here remember the O.J. Simpson trial uh, in the the 1990s. I loved O.J. Simpson when I was a kid. I remember, I'm old enough, I remember when he ran for 2,000 yards in one game, or in one season, took one game, which was a record in the NFL. I mean, he was a hero. He was awesome. And then in 1994, something went wrong with his ex-wife. His ex-wife and another man were brutally murdered, and O.J. became the immediate suspect. It was a spectacular trial. How many of you remember all this? Uh, that went on for, for a year, and then he was acquitted. And I think he was acquitted for several reasons. One is the prosecution didn't do a good job, and the police, some of the police were caught in lies. That, that doesn't help a case, but almost everyone felt like that O.J. Was, was guilty and that he had gotten off for murder. You know where O.J. sits tonight? He sits in a jail in Nevada. Not on the murder charge, but on some robbery charges and armed robbery and some theft charges. And when I remember hearing all that, I just, uh, what came to my mind is what we sow, we reap. And that we might live free or we might, we might be what appears getting away with things. But what we sow, we reap. I want to tell you about America right now, and I want to be careful because I don't want to, I don't want to just kick homosexuality because adultery's wrong, fornication's wrong, and I don't know a lot about a lot, but I know a, a good bit about this book here, and you can't, you cannot take the Bible and say adultery's wrong, right? You can't take the Bible and say fornication. 
Sorry, Ronnie, gave you a heart attack. You, some of you men are going, yeah, yeah, no. You can't take the Bible and say fornication is right. And you can't take the Bible and say homosexuality is right, okay? Now, if you're an adulterer, you're struggling with homosexuality, you're struggling with fornication, and I guarantee you every Sunday we got people in all three of those categories in our building. That's where you need to be, amen? We're going to love you and pray for you and do everything we can to help you, but we're not going to tell you it's okay as long as I'm here. And, and it broke my heart a few weeks ago when our Supreme Court basically said it, gay marriage is legal. And it broke my heart when our White House that night had the, the gay rainbow flag colors on the White House. Now, before you say, well, you're being, you're being mean to the Democrats. George H.W. Bush, that's Daddy Bush, who was president from 88 to, to 92, about a year ago, him and Barbara. Maybe it was a big deal. They were, they were basically standing in at a lesbian wedding in Maine saying, hey, we are for it. So, so you Democrats, I just kicked a Republican. Are you all okay with that? It's not a Democrat or Republican issue, I'm telling you. But I, I want to tell you this, God is noticing. And, and if we celebrate sin, do you think God is asleep? I heard this when I was a kid. I heard it so much, I don't even want to say it, but, but it's so true. If God doesn't eventually punish America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> That's true. And some of you are going, yeah, preacher, get, get those politicians and get the homosexuals. And, and you lie and you cheat and you're mean. I always thought it was so funny, Christians who are moral but mean. Well, I would never cheat on my wife or be a homosexual or I'd never do this. But you're just mean. The Bible says, by the way, if you're mean, you're L-O-S-T. What's that spell, kids? Lost. Thank you. Riley's right down here, my little granddaughter, and she's told me several times, Reese, don't spell things out. I can spell now. <laughs> Your mama is D-U-M-B, you know. I will reap what I just... <laughs> <laughs> Young people, look at me for a second. You don't have sex till you get married. And don't think, well, nobody's going to know. Mom and daddy aren't going to know. I can clean up my phone. I can clean up my computer. They won't know. You reap what you sow. Again, some of you, you heterosexuals out here, are, are, you, are you being truthful and in integrity in your sex life? How many of you, be careful how quick you raise your hands on this. How many of you have heard of a website, Ashley Madison? Okay, now raise your hands because some, some of you have. Okay, I'm not giving, this is all over the news too. I'm the only one that watches the news, I guess. Ashley Madison is actually, this is horrible. It is an adultery website for married people who want to have an affair but not get involved with it. I'll just have sex, but we won't get personal. 
And so what, what people do, I don't know from experience, but what I've read this week is that you, you go, you set up a profile, of course you pay money, you put your picture in, you tell them where you live, and you tell them the sexual fantasies you have, and they pair you up with someone in your area that you can meet somewhere and have a discreet affair. And no one will know, and you'll get away with it, and it'll be rosy. In fact, it'll even help your marriage. And all God's people vomited at that point. Here's what's happened. Someone hacked the website. If you don't know what that means, it means they pirated their way into the website. They stole the information of the 37 million people who were on that site. They got pictures. Some of you better straighten up. They got pictures. They got addresses. They got sexual desires, they got everything. And here's what they've said, because this person must have been burned by this website. They said, shut the site down or we're going to expose all 37 million people. Put Galatians 6, 7 on the screen one more time. Read this aloud with me. How many of you believe that? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. You're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You need to plant the seed of faith in Christ tonight. So when you die, you can reap heaven. When we stand in a moment, I want to invite you to come and let one of our ministers help you give your life to Christ. You're here tonight. You'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to if God's leading you to. And one way you can do that when we stand is come. We'll be down here waiting on you. But Christian, listen to me. Maybe it's where you're standing. Maybe at the altar. Maybe on your knees before God. You need to repent tonight. Listen, God punishes sin, but God is far more excited about forgiving repentant sinners. Amen? Man, whatever the past is, get it right with God and put your life in the right direction this evening so you can reap the good things in the days ahead. Let's stand and you come now as God leads you.